Welcome to Money Memoirs, a taboo-breaking interview series sharing intimately uncensored conversations about money. I am Barry Tesler, a financial therapist, author, and creator of The Art of Money, my year-long money school and global community. Join me as I connect with brave folks from all walks of life to explore their experiences with money from their greatest struggles to triumphant celebrations, to lessons learned, and unexpected discoveries along the way. These interviews are raw, heartfelt money stories. They're vulnerable, inspiring, and always authentic. These interviews are a snapshot of the personal connection and practical support you'll find in my year-long money school, The Art of Money. The Art of Money is a holistic framework that integrates money healing, money practices, and money maps. And it blends together therapeutic body-based practices with so many real life tools that you need to create healthy, sustainable change in your money life. If you'd like to learn more, head to barrytesler.com. For now, get comfy and cozy for another intimately uncensored money memoir. Today, I'm, I have the honor of talking with Makeda Bourne. He is a graphic facilitator and visual strategist. You can learn more about Makeda on my site. Makeda, thank you so much for being here today. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it is an honor. Thank you so much, Barry, for the invitation. Hmm. So before we dive into some of your money, mem- money memoir stories, I'd love it if you would share a snapshot of your family and work life right now. Um, yeah, family is uh, a powerful trio, myself and uh, my partner, Rhea, um, and my 12-year-old daughter, our 12-year-old daughter, Mina. Um, Rhea and I have been, blessedly been in a relationship for 20 years, and um, she is a an amazing and thriving acupuncturist and healer on so many levels. And um, my daughter Mina is a tour de force of uh, kid, of kiddom. I, I told her the other day that she was just killing it as far as childhood goes. Like she's just mm-hmm. doing so well in really being a fully realized, um, empowered young girl. Um, and, yeah, I'm feeling really blessed to be in this, this family scene. Um, yeah, it's 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 the inspiration for the work that I do. Um, I myself work as a facilitator, supporting organizational development efforts and leading diversity and equity inclusion training and developing strategy and strategic planning with organizations as well as building teams, helping people be more effective and more high-performing in the work that they do. Wonderful. And you work for big companies in the corporate world and big organizations. Yes, I do. I do, um, and you know, my focus in the last few years has really shifted to align those organizations that I work with with my personal values. So, while I appreciate the money that comes from um, my my corporate clients, um, the core of my work and the passion of my work, I really feel really shines when I'm values aligned with my clients, and I see them moving in the direction of what I call conscious business and um, holding relationships, you know, their people um, ahead of profit. So I have found that in foundations and nonprofit organizations, um, mission-driven organizations. And so, yeah, my my work is fulfilling and the folks that I get to engage with. Mm, So good, so good. Okay, so thank you for that. And and now let's let's dive into some of the behind the scenes of your Mm -hmm. money story and money narrative. And my first question is, what is the main emotion that comes up around money for you? Or what are the – I've been saying cocktail of emotions, and people are saying, well, I don't drink. <laughs> so I need another word for uh, the combination of emotions that oh, I don't, is yeah, coming up for you or frequently comes up for you. Around money. Um, yeah, around I money. Was, I was blessed to spend a year, six months working with you. So I would – 
my answer previous to that a few years ago would have been different, but I'd say right now my um, emotion around mining is one of deep gratitude, um, full trust, uh, honesty, and deep respect. Those are, I don't know what kind of cocktail that makes, but, man, it's a tasty one these days. It's my, a beautiful one. I, I think I might be overindulging in it at a given time, but, you know, some vices are good. So, yeah, no positive right now. Well, so let's, I'll take you back to three years mm-hmm. ago, and what was, what were the emotions that were coming up then on a regular um, basis? Avoidance, uh, fear, um um, incompetence. <laughs> I don't know if that was an emotion, but a there feeling, was some, a feeling a of incompetence. Yeah, a feeling of incompetence and avoidance. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. So, a little bit of the journey of what shifted. I, we're going to get into more of that, but just how can you go from? I can't not ask this question in this moment. How can you go from <laughs> avoidance? and fear and feeling inadequate to that whole set of of emotions that you said come up now gratitude trust there are a few more it's it it really boils down to self responsibility you know and taking responsibility for that um those those feelings you know and starts with acknowledging them um so, you know, I can speak through the work I do with you and the deep work I've done with my partner, Rhea. You know, it's it's looking. It, it has to do with eyes open. And, um, you know, when you when eyes are open, avoidance falls away. And the more clarity you have, the more confidence I gained. And, you know, by taking the time to learn the language of money, um, I felt that, you know, that sense of incompetency was, was falling away. So, you know, it, it was really a finally taking responsibility for my the relationship that I have established with money and the relationship that we, my partner and I collectively had established with money. Um and from that point, you know, the opportunity is there to really shift. Okay. Okay. So we'll probably we'll we'll get into a little bit of like what what asked you, what required you, like what was some of the moment when you mm-hmm. said that's it. I have to well let's answer that and then we'll start going back to family and all that. And yeah, yeah, what was I mean, was there a moment where you just said I can't take this anymore? Yeah. Um, it was the yeah. it was the moment when our savings got wiped out after we finished our taxes for the year. Okay. And okay. I thought we had a good year, you know, I thought the money was good and we were doing well. And then the tax bill came, and boom, our entire savings account got wiped out. It was all gone. I had to send it all to the Fed. And so that feeling of, you know, that, that hesitancy, that hesitant feeling of success was completely blown up when everything was gone. So it's like, oh, you're not doing as well as you thought, and you don't have your game together, and you got to figure this shit out. It's part of my language. So. I, you can say shit was, here. It's okay. Okay. I mean, it was it was it was a dejecting a moment of deep deep dejection, and I felt so bad and was so disappointed in myself um, for not seeing that coming, for not knowing the tax game well enough, you know. So that was another part of the ignorance and incompetence around around money. You know, having money is one thing, and being responsible with it and understanding how it flows you know, and where the obligations lie is, an, is another aspect of it. And I didn't didn't know that. So that was that was one big moment. You know, I call them money initiations, and sometimes they're big ones like that mm-hmm. or they're smaller moments of being unconscious along the way. So so this right. is a moment where you, got, you guys had the money because some people don't, you know, mm-hmm. and that's a whole moment of – then you have to call the IRS and you have to work out a payment plan. And that happens often, you know, with many of my folks. So you guys had the money set aside, but you were calling it savings. You weren't calling it tax money, you know, or right. money to the government or my community contribution. This was your save. It was in the, it was in the category of savings. Of and savings, right. It was savings in your mind. And, and then one moment it was all sent over. And there wasn't any money there anymore. 
Right. And, you know, I think the key thing in that was that there was no gratitude for our in our ability to pay that tax bill. Yeah. It was right. a it was a it was a disappointment okay. that the savings got wiped away. It wasn't like, oh, wow, let's get thanks. They have this resource to pay this tax bill. It was it was the energy was totally different around it. Yeah. Yeah. So I always go to celebration. Right. But. For you in that moment, as you're saying, it didn't feel like that. There, there was no gratitude. There was no giving thanks. It just felt like a big disappointment, and we didn't see this coming, and we didn't plan for this, and that right. feels like crap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in that moment, what did you do? I mean, what did you what did you do? That was your moment <laughs> of yeah. What did you do? I was I was okay. I gotta find a bookkeeper. I you know I remember sitting here in my office. You know, it was late at night, and I was starting to, like, okay, I just need to find somebody to help me manage these books, the stuff that I didn't want to deal with, the stuff that I didn't know about. And I'm, like, doing this web search, like, where do I find somebody here to help me with this? And that was when I found you. And yeah. it was a really – it was just an awesome synchronicity that it was uh, – it wasn't a bookkeeper that I found. It was the, the financial therapist that I found that um, – resonated so deeply like okay this is deeper than just the the numbers and managing the books it's there was that recognition of uh the personal work that needed to be done that we needed to do i, I would call it the yoga of money you know and like as, as a yoga practitioner there's so much of that practice of awareness and 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 acceptance and allowing and you know, looking at all the shadows and being totally grounded and centered in yourself and your own being and the way you move that I recognized in your language and in your what you were offering. And so therein lies the uh, the moment of turning, I would say. And to just also acknowledge anyone out there who, you know, who gets hit with a really hard moment, a big tax bill, um, yeah, and on and on, right? There's all these moments of that. And then mm-hmm. you didn't know where to look. You didn't know what kind of support you needed. You didn't know mm-hmm. what kind of support was out there. And so you just started Googling, right? You just mm-hmm. started Googling right. bookkeeper. Bookkeeper, somebody handle bookkeeper. this for me. <laughs> someone, right. right, let me let me give this to someone. Someone handle this for me, okay? Right. And then, then you wound up finding me, and we wound up learning, you know, you guys learned how to do so much of this ourselves. Um, mm-hmm. yourselves and then had to dive into some really um, deep old narratives and things that were playing out in your marriage too. Right? Absolutely. Okay. Mm-hmm. So so let's talk about that is the next question. I, I want to hear a bit of what, when we did start diving in, you know, what did you learn, what did you start seeing about what you learned from your family about money? Do you have any memories, positive or negative? Um, what were some of the messages and some of the narrative once we got in there, once you got in there, for yourself? Um, you know, I think that part of the narrative, I, I felt like I, I, I hadn't been taught how to deal with money. I thought I did. I think um, some of the narrative was, you know, you got to work hard. You got to... You, you, you've you got to learn how to manage your money. I think my dad did a relatively good job of helping me to figure out how to, how to, how to like make a purchase and make regular payments and, you know, be responsible with your money and build some credit up. Right. But I think it's only recently, you know, because we started that work together, but I think it's been in the last few years, post working with you that I've really come to recognize the narrative or the money story that I got from my family. Um, and it's one of, that's really related to my, my racial background. You know, I'm African American and um, I don't know if you want, this is a story you want to hear. There's a, there's a bit. Of course I do. It's one of my questions. So I'm really, yeah, please, please go ahead. I mean, I was, one of my questions was going to be was, this is, how do you define your lineage and ethnicity? Ethnicity, mm-hmm. and please share how um, you feel that that shaped your relationship to money too, the strengths and challenges. So. Yeah, I think yeah, this kind of is an answer to both of those questions. I, um, as a black man, and my both my parents are from the South. 
Um, I grew up with the messaging that I had to work twice as hard as all my white friends in order to get as much, maybe get as much as they did. This was the story that I got. So, I mean, I was a diligent and working hard. However, my father, while he was a brilliant man, mathematics major, pilot in the Air Force in the 60s, became a pilot and continued to fly planes in the Air Force for 20 years, um, he he was fighting his own battles, and he was being taught, and he learned to work hard, you know, kind of put your head down and deal with all that bullshit and just make your money and, you know, make sure that you have money for your kids to go to college. But my father never, ever learned how to invest. It wasn't something that he had any idea about until, you know, well into his Air Force career. So investing in 401Ks, investing in anything that that was outside of what the military was providing for him was not on his radar. Buying property was not on his radar, aside from buying the home that we lived in. You know, I was I grew up with with resource and, you know, a nice, comfortable middle-class upbringing. What here really came to light for me was, as I've been an entrepreneur for many years, I saw a friend of mine, white friend, he's really successful, and I'm looking at him, and he's like, he just sold this one rental house, and he had bought this duplex, and he was doing all these, making all these moves that were completely foreign to me. And I saw, I finally asked him, I was like, how did you start doing this? Like, you've already purchased and owned multiple buildings and you're doing this and you've got this property in Mexico. And like, where the hell did that come from? He said, you know, my parents, I just saw my dad doing that. It's what my dad taught me. You know, he's, you know, I just kind of grew up around it. It was what my family did. And, and it really hit me then that like he learned something at an early age that shaped his relationship with money and gave him the ability and the insight and just the, even the awareness to leverage his money in a different way. And it was really a frustrating moment when I was like, you know what, my parents never taught me anything about that. And I was really kind of bitter about it until I had to look back on the experience that my father had and recognize that he did absolutely the best that he could and gave me all he can. But it comes down to the fact that as a black person in America, the the experience is one of – of present momentness. There's not that future orientation and you're definitely not. I just wasn't taught that investing game. I wasn't taught to think that far out or to play within the system in the ways that, you know, my white friends were taught. Another friend who was, his father was a real estate broker and all these things that I just never saw. So, you know, it was, it's part of the larger system. So, you know, within that, you know, I'm hearing you and, you know, we we, we all make meaning out of our stories and our upbringing, right? And mm-hmm. it's so important for me to honor your story or how you're making meaning. Um, and we all have strengths and challenges from our background. We all have strengths and challenges from the lineage and ethnicity that we come from and then some of us have privilege from where we come from, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm listening to you, and it's interesting because I came from middle-class background as well, and I've always identified as a Jewish-Russian uh, woman, and lately um, with what's going on in the U.S., I've started to say, well, I'm a Jewish woman, and I'm also I'm a white woman. I'm a white and Jewish woman. And mm-hmm. my father was in real estate, and he never taught me how to do any of that. Mm-hmm. You know, he never taught me how to do any of that, so I didn't. I didn't grow up with any future thinking as well, and had to learn that um, in my 30s and 40s. Mm-hmm. And that's that's not to diminish your story. So I hope that you're not hearing that because, you know, I I I, I want you to really understand where you came from and and what that means to you, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that, that – go ahead. I think the difference there in our stories is that, you know, while your father was in real estate and he understood that investment idea and he had the access to purchase real estate wherever he wanted to, 
you know, the historic history of redlining and and keeping and and, lim- and keeping black folks from having the resources for investment, getting those loans, buying homes in areas that were you know affluent or anywhere outside of you know specific literally redlined areas, you know, while your father had the the knowledge and didn't teach you, it was the farthest thing away from what my father knew. You know, it was, it, it just wasn't on the radar. It's not something that he was taught. It wasn't something that he had access to. You know, he kind of went, he had to go through the military path, which was an opportunity path for, for people of color. And while he excelled at it, you know, he didn't develop any of those other skills related to money, and he wasn't, so he wasn't able to pass those on to me. Yeah, yeah. So what are you doing different now? Um, with that, with everything that your father um, did for himself, for your family, and where he took you all and and everything that he was able to teach you. And now that you've seen um, everything he did for you, you know, at first you felt like, wait, he didn't teach me. And then you saw saw that it's um, a limitation in the system. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what, what what are you doing different now to overcome that or work on that? You know, I I think it started really with the work that I was doing with you because up until that point, it was avoidance, right? It wasn't, I wasn't seeking out the knowledge that I needed to do that work. Um, So now, you know, I'm, I'm really understanding how to leverage money. I'm doing the research and taking the steps to understand how I can do that. You know, there are less barriers there for me um, uh, than my father had. And so I am, you know, I think that, that lends itself to another part of my current money story, which is developing along the long game, right? Right now, I think that's one of my shortcomings in my work as I've come to understand my work around money is like, what is my long game? How, what is my investment strategy, right? Is it a market-based investment strategy? Is it a real estate investment strategy? Um, you know, I'm asking those questions, and I'm beginning to create that aspect of my of my money story, my money relationship, um, whereas, you know, up until my late 30s, I was just avoiding all of that because, for one, I didn't know, and for two, I just felt like I, I had none of the information or knowledge that I needed to even start doing it, you know, and the fear was getting in the way. Okay. So let's let's jump over to um, marriage and couples and money. Mm-hmm. And I had the honor of being behind the scenes of getting to watch both of you do incredible work together. But I'd love you to share a bit of what it's like in your marriage around money and challenges and strengths in there. If you can tell a couple of stories of how you two did money dates before, how you're doing them now, things like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Did we call it a date before? I think it was, uh, you know, it was just um, uh, lashing out previously, you know, before doing our work around money. It was, it was a it was a blame and shame experience mm-hmm. moment to moment you spent too much on that or why did you buy this and you know you, you know you didn't do x y and z and you know you're spending too much money without paying attention to these and did you take care of that bill and you know we don't have enough money to pay those bills and, and so whether it's her fault or not or my fault or not both of us are on edge you know there was an edginess to to our relationship with money um, and there's definitely no sense of regularity to our engagement around money. It was just like every you know month, the bills would come, and you know we would hope, hopefully, we had the money to pay them. And if we did, we would, you know, just kind of pay them and and get thanks for that and move on. And if we didn't, then we would get frustrated with each other, <laughs> each other. You know, it was it wasn't healthy, and that's that was the challenge because I have always had, we have always had an incredibly healthy relationship. You know, we've been together for 20 years, and the reason we have been for that long is because we have a very, very healthy relationship. But that was the one aspect of our relationship that we neither of us were paying attention to, and it was an unhealthy aspect of our relationship. So, um, you know, it was really clear that we needed to address address it. Um, 
and shift it because we wanted it to be aligned, our money relationship to be aligned with our partnership and to be aligned with our parenting and to be aligned with all those other big values that we hold, which we honestly have been thriving in for many years. So it was kind of the last piece that we had to really bring bring into alignment um, in our relationship together. So Let's um, pause there for a second because, and then mm-hmm. before we go into more current because, you know, that was what was so striking is that there was so much health in every other area of your marriage. Mm-hmm. And so money was the the blame and shame, you know, the place of tension. And it was so different mm-hmm. than, you know, so the, the the saying of the way you do one thing is the way you do everything, it wasn't true. It was like all the challenge, all the tension got thrown here. So so take me back to even when you guys began. Was there anything um, usually like a lot gets swept under the rug, like right from the beginning. Either you merge finances together or you keep them separate or, you know, can you, do you remember a story from the beginning of when some of this avoidance or blame or shame, like how that was happening early on? Hmm. You know, I mean, from the beginning, we kind of threw it all in together. I mean, quite literally, um, from the beginning of our relationship, it was, you know, it was all on the table there together. And so I don't know that it started with the shame and blame. It was like a collective avoidance, you know, as we, at the time, were living in poverty consciousness together. Um, it was just, uh, you know, we were, we both agreed, we were kind of in agreement that this was just how it was. We would scrape by and we would pool what we had and, you know, as long as we were spending it together, you know, on something that was shared, it was it worked out. But as soon as one of us, because we were so integrated so quickly on the financial side, one of us, you know, diverged and stepped outside and that and said, oh, I need to spend money on this or I need to buy money, I need to buy this um, for myself or for my own needs, that was when the tension started to build. It's like, oh, okay. well, you spent so much money. And it became this we had to be, it had to be even. Oh, well, you spent that money over there. Well, then I'm going to have to spend some money over here because, you know, it's got to be fair. You know, there's this really unhealthy sense of things having to be fair. So then we kind of were in contention around, you know, okay, you spend money, I spend money. So that was... was So that's a dynamic. That's a pattern. So Mm -hmm. first it was, we're going to, it was working for a while. It sounds like you guys were on the same team. It was all like pooled in together. We're in this together, you know, and mm-hmm. you're more at the beginning of the relationship. Twenty years ago, you didn't have as you didn't have that much money, right? Right. And it was right. things were more simple, and you were in it together. And then um, you each started having your own needs or desires about where to spend. Mm-hmm. And I always say this on the surface, we have the same values, and then when we go to earn, spend, save, all of it, it's usually different. And so then you started having each of your independent things that you wanted. Right. And then and then were you horrified by what the other person was spending money on, or did you just each of you go to, well, well now I get to do that, or I get to spend money in the way that I want to? Right. No, yeah, there wasn't any, like, we weren't challenged by what each other chose to spend money on. However, it was just, it, there was this, it was a, it became a competition. Like, it's got to be even, the evenness, the evenness. And that required us to spend more than we had, right? Okay. Because one of us made a relatively large purchase and the other was feeling like, well, I have to do that. But the resource might not have been there because we didn't have much at the time. And so then it started to push us towards debt, you know, it's just this tug of war. So that was it. You guys started mm-hmm. competing, um, mm-hmm. and it needed to be fair. So mm-hmm. you you each needed to spend exactly the amount that, you know, or get to experience the same amount that the other person did. Right. Okay. Okay. So keep going with that. And then and then where did that lead you to? And how did I, you overcome that? You know, I think that that led us to to debt and to arguments, you know, about well, you know, we can't afford to do that and just, you know, it does not always it doesn't always have to be fair. So it, it took us into this these challenging arguments about you know, does do things always have to be fair and totally equal? And 
it was, it was, it was, it, I don't know, it just created some tension. It, you know, this is a relationship I've been blessed in. We don't fight. We haven't fought. I mean, that's just not something that we do. We don't yell. We don't argue. There's none of that. But there it was. It was always the tension around money. So um, it did lead us into to debt and then to also some resentment, you know, was okay. something that, that emerged as well. So also during that time, were you both earning equally, or was one of you earning more? And did some of did one of you start playing that card? What what was starting to happen in that dynamic? Um, I was. Did I hear a little I, chuckle? <laughs> yeah, I think you know early on, I I um, you know I was making some efforts to create one of my first businesses, which turned out to be an epic fail and probably one of my biggest and most challenging failures and. You know, at the time, I wasn't making any money as I was seeking to do this, and Rhea was working, you know, she was waiting tables, and she was she was going to school, her grad school at the time, so she's supporting me and working, and I'm not working at all, um, and so then the scales tipped to her side, right? She's making the money, she's doing all the work, I'm out here, you know, like, doing this hustle thing that's just not working, and so it was... uh it was it was really challenging. So I couldn't I you know I couldn't I felt really handcuffed. I like I couldn't spend any money on anything because I wasn't making any or much money at all. And so then it got really unbalanced, and it was it just got messier at that point. Okay, so we're in a good moment. I mean, we're in a moment of number one. We all have failures, right? We all have some big ones that are real in a long life. Um, so this was one of yours. This mm-hmm. was because um, I know you've had a lot of successes in the last decade, you know, with mm-hmm. your work a lot. And so this was a beginning trying to start your own business, and it sounds like you, your words it failed. It didn't work, right? So, mm-hmm. so also in a long marriage, usually we go back and forth where. We're going through a phase of supporting one person to go after their dreams and goals, and we're holding down more the anchor in the fort, and we're making more of the money. And it also switches in a long marriage of who's making right. more. Typically, if after 20 years, you know, mm-hmm. um, For sure. sometimes yeah. So, so this was a period where Rhea was the anchor. She was holding on the fort and and making the money and supporting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right, and I'm 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 struggling with my own masculine sense of identity yeah. right yeah as the male as the breadwinner is you know you know that was you know that was a whole other gender-based messaging that created challenges and frustration in that dynamic and did you talk about that were you able to give voice to wait a second i'm the man and this is what it means to me and i should be or how, no how, Oh. No, I don't think that was, it was. I don't think that was verbalized. You know, that's that's part of the the shame that that I carried around in that failure, right? I'm the man. She's, you know, she's doing. I'm supposed to be supporting her in this point, you know, but that's just it wasn't happening. It wasn't happening. So that was my own my own internal dialogue. Yeah. So how did you make it through that and 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 find a sense of your own value? And yeah, yeah. I had I you know for one had to you know stop what I was doing because it wasn't working, and you know I think the the biggest shift that happened for me was through my own inner work that I was doing around that was recognizing that I was not working in service to other people. I literally was only working in service to myself and my own financial gain while I was telling myself a story that what I was trying to do was helping other people. The truth was that it was really only for me. And so therefore I was not successful. So I had my own realization that success comes through working authentically in service to others. And it wasn't until I realized that, that my financial experience and my success began to really, it shifted and began to really grow in another direction. So, you know, one of my questions was going to be what is one of the biggest things that you – what are one of your biggest money challenges and how did you overcome it? 
And mm-hmm. would this be it? Would this? That literally, that's, that is the biggest shift that ever happened, okay. changing my orientation to be in service to other people rather than to my own financial gain. That was the that was the tipping point. That was where it, it all turned around and began to shift. Is that when you started offering different services? Did you then go get a job for a while? Like what? How, how did you know? Because I I know the work you do now, mm-hmm. um, the strategy work and the visual. I, I the visual. What is it called? It's called visual graphic graphic, graphic facilitation and graphic recording. Yeah, it blows my mm-hmm. mind. That that yeah. that work <laughs> being that blows my mind and knowing that you do that. So, but but what was that? That you know, how did you? What would you do in the middle there? Like how did you? Shit. Yeah. What was that transition? Yeah, I I I um I did get a job, um, uh-huh. and it was a job that allowed me to um, build on the skills that I had realized I wanted to I wanted to grow right as a facilitator, somebody who leads and designs process for groups and helps other people, you know come to their own insights and understandings and, you know, be their best self. And so the, I took a job, and I ended up working in that job, my longest job ever for six years. And at the same time, all through that course of that job, I was growing and developing another business. So I was working double time, like full-time job, salary job, while also building my business um, and building my skills through that job and and also off, offline. You know, so it was a really big turning point of not only changing my orientation mentally, but going from hardly working to working double time for a number of years to build to build the business that I wanted, but also to be able to be the, the support for my family that I wanted. So somewhere in there, Mina showed up. <laughs> yeah, your, yeah, your daughter, and and in that you were bringing home stable income. Right. For the first time right. in a long time. Yeah, the first time, yeah. Yeah, and, truly. And how did that shift your inner experience of your value, and how did that shift the dynamic in your marriage? Um, well, yeah, the, definitely the, the 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 shift in, in our in our relationship and marriage was, like, huge. But all of a sudden she could relax into her learning um, and – really be present with that and not have to hold hold the financial while she was also seeking to learn so it it, it created a sense of um uh, created some more calm in our relationship and at the same time she continued to work and so we had more abundance of money and so that shifted dynamics so that tension around um spending and the tension around you know paying bills was not, was definitely diminished because we felt more comfortable and secure in a regular regular income, um, and so it was a uh, it was it was really a turning point in our relationship. And I think it, it, it lended as we started to develop and and earn more money over those years. Then we got to the point of tension around the fact that we weren't paying attention to the money. Right, that wasn't the challenge early on, but as more came in, it really started to create create tension. Yeah, yeah. And um give me a scene of how you money dates today. Give me a scene money of money dates. Yeah. Um money dates today. Um I will spend the day prior or sometime before our money date. I schedule it. I put it on the calendar. Um and we have a set time for it. I will have reconciled all of our month's finances or that two weeks finances. We do it every two weeks. I will reconcile everything in Mint because we use Mint as a as a money management tool. Um, I'm starting to definitely see the limitations in it, but so far it's, it's you know it gives us what we need. Um, so I will make sure it's all reconciled and clear, and then we will sit down. There's a candle always lit. There's some intentions that are set. And as you have taught us, you know, body check-in just to kind of slow down and ground and, um, and before we start to look at our numbers. And 
always being in a place of gratitude for those numbers uh, and for what we're seeing and what we're starting to understand and being open in, in our conversations and our inquiry with each other about where money was spent and what happened, but it's no longer attention because we, we have a trust that things are, that we have reform, we have the resource that we need, and there's no more blame or shame for each other for spending money, you know, because we've done a lot of that work. So it's really just to look at the numbers and, and just kind of readjusting based on that so that we know what we can do for the next two weeks. And it's so much easier and so much smoother and so much more full of gratitude and calm, you know, attention. Yeah. Yeah, and I, you know, and I watched like the beginning. It was fighting and blame and shame, mm-hmm. and it wasn't fun, you know. Mm-hmm. And it took mm-hmm. quite a few months of practice of of practicing these money dates to get to a place where you guys have a system. You're using Mint. You're looking at your numbers. You know what's going on. Um, mm-hmm. You know what's there. You know what's not there. And you guys come together and make decisions. You know, but th- it was definitely a journey, right? It was definitely a yeah. journey to, to get to this place. Most definitely a journey, yeah. but it's it it was been worthwhile. It's been yeah. worthwhile. So, what's your biggest edge right now? Because if we're always fine tuning and evolving our relationship to money, and every year we're, you know, updating our bookkeeping systems, or we're trying to break through a money ceiling, or we're working on a deeper part of our value and worth, or we're working on a goal together as a family. What's what's going on with you right now? What are some of your growing edges? Um, there's two, I would say. One of them is um, <clears throat> developing my long game, right? The the retirement plan, the investment strategy, you know, and trying, and coming to a place where I feel confident and comfortable um, making those big moves. Um, one of which we did this this last year, which was a huge remodel on our home um, that allowed us to really leverage our money and create quite a bit more wealth for ourselves through the process of, of, of improving our home. So it was empowering. And now I'm thinking outside of this one resource that we have, okay, how do I leverage more of our resources to create that wealth that might not necessarily be tangible in hand, but that, you know, I have appreciating assets. So developing my long game is our long game is the edge right now. One of them, and I would say the other one right now is, is staying clear of and staying out of fear. Um, As you know, as things shifted last month with the election, um, my confidence in, the markets and the stability of our economy has definitely been in, impacted. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm finding that it's created a sense of fear um, in me and whether I want to make any big moves or how I can continue to move forward and, and build and grow rather than just like kind of being frozen and deciding not to do anything and stepping back in fear. You know, so I'm working on finding the balance between prudent um, money decisions with the bigger picture of uh, our larger economy, maybe even our national or global economy, with just being fearful and, you know, making decisions from a, a fear, a fear, a position of fear or a sense of uh, potential scarcity. And so that energetically feels uh, like um, I'm doing some work, you know, Riding that line right now. Yeah, can you share one thing? You're at least one thing that you're doing right now to to um, work with that fear, move through it um, on a daily or weekly basis. One of your what, what's one of your practices right now that um, will affect your relationship to money and and all areas. Mm. Uh. Paying attention, I think it kind of comes back to the same thing at the beginning of the money journey. I'm not a political person. I don't necessarily like media or news or any of that. I'm not a consumer in that regard. I, I, I tend to focus on what I can control in my scene, but I'm recognizing that I one of my practices is, okay, paying attention, being aware of the larger markets and where the markets are going, what's happening on the economic level, and who this guy is appointing to do what, and you know, really t- paying attention to some of the um, broader 
social and cultural uh, uh, information that's out there related to where we are and where we might be going. Generally, I wouldn't pay attention to that at all. So it's just like I used to not pay attention to tax tax um, opportunities and, you know, tax scenarios or bookkeeping and accounting and all of that other stuff. I just didn't pay attention to it, and I just did my thing, and it led me to a place of – so I see how that's shifting, how I'm shifting that to paying attention to a bigger a bigger story, you know, one that's bigger than my own finances that's, that's more on that, that larger economic scale. Um, that's one practice. And the other was, I mean, I would just, I keep going back to my meditation practice and, you know, working with fear is big and it's, it doesn't necessarily, it's not, this doesn't necessarily get alleviated by looking outward. So I focus inward on my own abundance and my own confidence and recognition of my own value and recognizing how I've set my business up and how it can be successful even in a market shift and trusting that. Right, so it's coming back into the body, like that body check piece, that that groundedness, but also looking outward, and that's been a part of the money journey that we've been exploring since you know we began to engage with you, inward looking as well as outward looking. Beautiful. So one last question, Vikeda, and this is about your money legacy, which for me is about our past, our present, and our future and um, thinking about your daughter, and what is one thing that you're trying to teach her right now at her age, and what is one thing that you're trying to pass down that either you got from your family or that you're um, wanting to do differently? Um, the, 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 um, the importance of saving and the personal gratitude that comes from saving money and seeing that money in the bank, like me and Nina, Nina and I go to the bank every month, and she makes a deposit, and you know sometimes I give her incentives to save her money and make deposits, and so she's really proud of, you know, she's got over a thousand dollars in her bank account, and she's really confident in that. Um, that was something that my father taught me as well. But I'm also working on teaching her and modeling for her those things that my parents couldn't. You know, what does it mean to leverage money, and how do we, how do we make, how did we do the um, this remodel on the house, and what did that money process look like? And helping her to understand that no, we didn't just take a bunch of money out of the bank and spend it. We did this. This was our strategy, and we're doing it in this, this order for this reason, so that she understands that things aren't just happening, but that we are thinking. Far ahead, and she was actually active in our visual. We do visual planning for our um, our our house projects, so like literally create a, a a large format visual map of step by step, and what do we want to see our outcomes? And she got to contribute to that and write her her desired outcomes on that, and see us mapping out our money journey. So making it visible and tangible for her, and inviting her into our process, and you know also helping to teach her. My last piece is I'm helping to teach her about the system, about the historical systems of oppression that um, are real and that are um, have historically kept people of color um, in positions of poverty or lack or less so that she understands that, it's, that there is a systemic – we're, we're seeking to overcome long-held systemic challenges that she can see and hear those stories from her grandfather. She can see and hear those stories and those realities from me and how they show up and just helping her to understand that bigger picture of how money is used and manipulated to keep certain people in positions of, um, of lack. So it, it, it's, it's, not a, it's not a mystery. Makeda, it's it has been an incredible honor to get to just hear some of your money memoir stories. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. It's an honor to be your friend. It's an honor to be in community with you. How was this to share? How I haven't asked anyone this question at the end of um this round of money memoirs. I did this three years ago. I would say how how was that to share some of your money stories and knowing that it's gonna go out? 
It's, it's easy. It's, the world. it's easy. There's no more shame, right? It's I, I, working with you. I help to see that everybody has it, and I appreciate you digging into and asking questions around our cultural um, experiences related to money, because I think that's a critical part of this, anybody's money story, like whether it's a gender story, gender-based story, whether it's a racially-based story, whether it's an immigrant story, you know, whether it's a, a story of, of a privilege, privilege-based story, like that is a real important aspect of us creating our reality. And so I appreciate you, you know, in this current context and climate, being willing to invite people that aspect of people's money memoir and money story into it because I believe it's, it's one of the most important pieces that shapes who we are. Me too. Me too. Mm-hmm. Where we're just we're just dipping our toes in that. I want to keep doing that more and more. I have so much to learn. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Yeah, no shame. No shame. It's, it is what it is, right? We grow. And uh, I thank you so much for inviting you know, my insight, my story, and my perspective part of your your bigger work thank you so much thank you for joining me with this money memoir interview i really hope you found something here to take with you whether it was a lesson some inspiration or even just a little grace for yourself and where you are in your money journey if you're feeling called to wade deeper here please pack your financial goals soul deep aspirations and grab your favorite person the art of money is a holistic framework that integrates money healing money practices and money maps and blends therapeutic body-based practices with real life tools that we all need to create healthy sustainable change in our money lives so if you'd like to begin your money healing journey with the art of money today learn more at barrytesler.com.